Hey kids, this is Yoshi, and this episode of podcast is brought to you by Punk Apparel. Go to punk.co, that's punc.co, and enter promo code YOSHI, Y-O-S-H-I, in all caps, at the checkout for 15% off all items. Punk Apparel accepts all major currencies and offer free worldwide shipping. Go to punk.co, that's punc.co, and enter promo code YOSHI. You're listening to... Yoshi Obayashi. All right, welcome to the new episode, Yoshi Den. I'm in uh, Rose, Rosie Trans House in North Hollywood. <laughs> Almost forgot where I was. Um, I'm here with Steve Simone, and Steve, thanks for doing the podcast. I know you just got back from Florida, yep. and I know I'm, I'm I really appreciate you showing up because you have. Yoshi, like, I'm honored that you asked me. This is fun. We've already been hanging out for 20 minutes, half an hour, just having laughs. I, love I mean, uh, I know it's going to be it's going to be a fun conversation because I think last time I, I spent a bit of a time was a year and a half ago in Phoenix with uh, Gabriel Gleese's show. So much fun! It was a lot of fun. I, I gotta say I was shocked that he invited me. I mean I wasn't I was not part of his clean show. I was the dirty portion of it. Yes. Thing. But even then, I'm very thankful Gabriel Iglesias, um uh, Martin Marino and Alfred and all those guys. You know, Dude, Ryan. It's the, yeah. It's one of the greatest groups of dudes. Of, take comedy out of it. Just quality, awesome human beings. I love those guys. And Gabriel, just like uh Russell Peters, is very generous. I the mean best. very generous. I mean you do a show he pay you a lot of money and also give you a gift, you know, yeah, that the headphone, you forgot, um, Dr. Dre's, uh, the beats. Yeah. I was using one. mine today. So that was fun. Then after that, you know, everybody do their gigs and been busy. So this is the first time I've seen it in a while. And I don't know where to begin because you do comedy and wrestling podcasts. You, you, you do obviously stand up, um, Joe Rogan thing very highly of you. Yeah. What an honor. And you travel all over the country doing stand up. And uh, I guess this is um, this episode. I want to talk to you about comedy and wrestling okay. and stuff. But begin with, where did you where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia. Okay. And what what was it like? Because Philly has a pretty rough reputation. Yeah, I, the way I describe it is how I grew up was a really nice area in the suburbs, but the mentality is so different from California. Yes. Where there was such a focus on family. Yeah. And hard work. And community and so I, I put that I sum it up in a sentence where I go I, I come from a place where people work jobs they hate yeah to support the people they love you know there was like this blue-collar work ethic sure from there we're like like I even knew guys that were like attorneys that like had landscaping businesses on weekends you know what I mean like it was all about just trying to give your kids a better life it's it you know Pennsylvania. I think it's number one or number two in the union where people who were born in at that particular state don't stay leave. there. They yeah. stay there. It's true. So they have such a strong feeling about their state, especially people from Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Absolutely. They both also are fanatic sports fans. A hundred percent so. People in Philly have a strong feeling about their uh, city. They love it, and they could be incredibly t- rough and tough. 
Yeah. But if they like you, they fucking love you. That Yeah, it's the greatest thing ever. And if you look back at a lot of the athletes that they've embraced over the years, yeah. weren't necessarily the most gifted athletes, but the athletes that gave it their all. Yes. And uh, that's just something that's uh, a part of me, you know? Like when I go out on stage, I think about that. I think about really trying to do the best I can do for that audience, even when I don't feel like it. Because it's not about me. It's about that crowd. And I think uh, it's different. Some people, you know, they don't care about the audience. They don't care about they're like whatever. But I just wasn't raised like that. Yeah. I just wasn't. They, they, uh, Philly's in a tough spot because, you know, it, it's sta staying in the right in the middle of D.C. and New York City. Absolutely. Two major cities. And... Um, would you say there's a lot of working class neighborhood in Philadelphia? Yeah. Um, the best one. Okay. I remember, I think this was W.C. Fields, mm -hmm. who was from Philadelphia. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's great comedy history in Philly. W.C. Field, Larry from the Three Stooges. You know, oh. so you start with those guys. Joe Dorita, that became the uh, one of the Three Stooges in later years. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then all, all the great stand-ups from Philly. David Brenner, Bill Cosby. Dom Herrera, Tim and Eric are our Temple guys. You know that director uh, Adam McKay is a Philly guy. Oh, is that uh, right? He yeah. works a lot with Sandler, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, he's you know directed all those Will Ferrell hits. He was the head writer on SNL. And Tina Fey, she's a Philly chick. Like, there's just a. It's a very funny city. It's a city filled with characters. Philadelphia is known for three things: comedians, boxers, and attorneys. Why, why why attorneys? I didn't know that. Uh, Philadelphia attorneys are, are revered. I think it's... Um, I think it's... It, it reflects are they aggressive? The passion of the city. Yeah. yeah. It reflects the passion of the city. Like, I have a good friend of mine uh, who's done many things with his life, but he, he graduated from Villanova Law School, and he was an attorney for a while, and he was in a... He's since switched careers, but he was involved in a, a lawsuit and had hired an attorney out here and they got sick of the way that the attorney was handling the lawsuit. So he just went into Philly attorney mode and he got four times the amount of money his attorney out here was able to get him. Wow. Yep. In three phone calls, he was able to do that. Wait, wait. So you said uh, attorneys, comedians, and what was it? Boxers. Wait, who fought uh, Muhammad Ali? He's from Philly, right? Uh, what am I forgetting? Joe Frazier. That's man. right. Yeah. That documentary HBO did on Joe Frazier was heartbreaking for me. I don't know if you ever saw it. Well, but it was I, I, amazing. It's painful because Ali called him all kinds of names. That was terrible. Yeah. And it, what what I found heartbreaking was that Frazier was his friend. And when Muhammad Ali didn't have any money, it was Joe that, that made sure he was okay, that paid his bills. And then that's how he turned on him. And he beat his ass. Frazier beat his ass in that first fight. There was three fights, was it? Three fights. And then the, the worst one was the... The third, where uh, was it? Ropa dope? Is that the? Uh, well, they go into it in the uh, documentary. We're going into the last round. I think it was Frazier's corner against Joe's wishes through the towel in because he would have rather have died than yeah. lost the fight. But then Ali was like, "I'm glad they did because I wasn't getting off my stool. I thought I was dead." So it turned into like a po Joe Frazier, one of the most underrated fighters of all time. 
Yeah, Philly definitely have that reputation. Like, of course, Rocky was from Philadelphia, and Rocky borrowed so much. Borrowed is a very friendly word. So much from Frazier. I didn't like. Do you remember in those Rocky movies where Mickey was showing Rocky that he was blind yeah. in that one eye? I didn't realize Frazier was like ninety percent blind in one eye. His whole career. They oh, that's to, not an afterward. Uh, the career is no. He won. He won the title. Ninety percent blind in one eye. My statistics might be off. But it's so if, I know there's probably some legit fight fans that are like, this guy's an idiot. But they go into this in this doc, a yeah. wonderful documentary HBO did. Because in, in that documentary, I think they were interviewing his wife or something. Yes. But, yeah. You know, I mean, it's kind of hard to detect Muhammad Ali because he's such an icon. But it just felt like unnecessary, you know. Terrible. And I think he was trying to psychologically break him, right, even before the match. I think it was part of that. And I think it was also part, uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. I think he was trying to sell tickets. And I think he almost took like a pro wrestling mentality to it. Yeah. And I think he, maybe he didn't realize how sensitive Joe was and how, how real he was taking it, how bad that blood got. Now, I, I think that's another one where people just assume if they're a successful athlete, they're manly. They are. But we don't. Th- they're we still don't, human beings. They're still human beings. We they don't. We don't usually factor in like they have feelings, you know. No. Not everyone's gonna be like killer like Michael Jordan. You yeah. Know? And yeah, you you just feel bad. And I'm sure there are times. I'm sure there's a soft side to Michael Jordan that he doesn't show anybody. Yeah. You know. And um, I have to. Like I've met so many really cool people in my life and all my travels, and what I've noticed is that people in general. Uh, are all amazing and yeah. super cool. And the, as soon as you get to really know anybody, it's impossible not to really love them, you know, because people are so fascinating and cool. But I have noticed that, like, my toughest friends also balance that out, you know? Like, they might not tell people, but, like, I have a friend of mine that was a, a British commando that now writes musicals and oh, stuff really? like that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and he's got to balance it out. It's really cool. Well, how did you meet him? During the shows? Uh, or I used to work at a boxing gym in Hollywood for like four or five years. That was my day job because it was flexible hours and I could work graveyard shift. So I would have my days free and then I could still do stand up at night and work from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Wait, when did you work when to when about? Let's see. Probably 2005 to wait. 2005, 2004. I don't know. It all blurs together. Maybe 2003 to about two, no, 2004 to 2009, something like that. Wait. So, how does one get a job there? Were you a boxer or? No, it was a. It was this awesome gym. It's called the Hollywood Gym. It's yeah. right on La Brea, between um, Sunset and Hollywood. So it's right in the middle of oh, Hollywood. I know what you're talking about. It's that giant yeah. blue building. Yeah. It's three stories. And uh, I wanted to, and the first two levels are a normal gym, totally normal gym. And then the third level, it was like a private boxing gym. And I see when I first started to work out there, that's like when Denzel would train there, the Wayans brothers, all of Hollywood. That was, there was actually a boxing, tra- boxing trainer there who told me that Joe Rogan hit like a heavyweight contender. Just with his hands. He goes, Joe Rogan could have been, take 
grappling out of it. Yeah. Take he, He's got some of the most vicious kicks. Did you ever see that video of him winning the Taekwondo National Championship? No. Bro, Was he the like match, a high school kid or something? Yeah, he's like 18 years old. The match lasts a second. They come out, and he just blasts this dude right in the chest. Oof. Knocks him out with a kick to the chest. So take all that out of it. This dude was an, a legit boxer, and he goes, because he had all these pictures of all of his famous yeah. clients up there, and there's a picture of Rogan hitting a heavy bag, yeah. like a freight train. And he was like, I go, oh, I know Joe from the comedy store. He goes, well, I know Joe from the boxing gym. And he goes, he could have easily been a he, – he didn't weigh as much as heavyweight, but he goes, he hit harder than most heavyweights. Yeah, it, it, it's like we were talking even before recording, like, boy, I, we would hate to have, be on Rogan's bad side. Oh, but Rogan's a it. very, very nice guy. Sweetheart, um, yeah. But the way I describe him to people, it's like poor man's Wolverine. You know, oh, that's hysterical. Because he's got broad shoulders. He's just a big dude, but he's very gentle. Unless you lie to him or bullshit him or trying to hurt people that he cares about. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah, he's, he's a, he was the best sheriff the comedy store ever had. You know, like he was the guy. He always looked out for us. Because now he's back. Now he's back. And I think that's why the comedy store... Soon as Joe came back, like it was bubbling for a while. Stand up in general was coming back. Yeah. Um, this whole podcast movement, I think, was great for like comedians that just weren't getting the attention from the industry that their talent really yeah. deserved. And the comedy store was just it was the the ignored child of the Los Angeles comedy scene. And I think um, I I could be wrong, but sounding like Brian Redband was instrumental in convincing him to go back to comedy. I hope store. so. I love Redband. And I remember, uh, but he was away seven, eight years. I didn't yeah. think it was that long. Holy God. It all goes by. See, like I'm getting so old now. I think about that stuff. I remember where I was when I found out Rogan and Mencia got into that fight because the comedy store was always like, you didn't, you wanted to hang out there every night, man. Like I wasn't past. It took me like eight years to get past at the comedy store, but I worked every job there. Yeah. From phones to door to parking lot to manager, bartender, everything. And then on nights I wasn't working, I was there hanging out every night. It was like my treehouse on Sunset. And you were always afraid that when you weren't hanging out there, something cool was going to happen. Sure. And that's what happened. That's what happened the night Rogan and Mencia got into it. You I was in there. Chicago. No. Um, you want to explain to some of the listeners? Because I don't think everyone knows what happened. So Colin Smith is a, another big name comedian and Joe Rogan. And I think, if I remember right, um, was it Mency on stage? He was doing a spot. Then somebody said something to him. Was it Rogan? Oh, how, how, do you remember what happened exactly? Mm -mm. I know there was like a verbal confrontation between the two. Basically, Rogan accused him of stealing other people's material. Yeah, I will say this. Um, this was at the peak of Carlos's career. This is yeah. like 2005, 2006. I mean, he had a... Very popular show on TV. Very popular show he on TV. He was selling up all the tours. Yeah. Yeah, he was selling out theaters. And like, and look, man, I will say this in Carlos's defense. One of the best pieces, one of the best sets I've ever seen at the comedy store, and I know I'm going to get killed for saying this, just in terms of audience response. Yeah. Take, take away whatever, like, because comedy's so subjective. But I remember one night in probably 2002. Yeah. To, yeah, probably 2001, 2002. It was a Sunday night, which at that point was the pop-in night, pop-luck yeah. night, open mic night. And it went, uh, I think it was Chris Rock. Okay. Then Dice. Jesus. Then Mencia. <laughs> and Mencia got a standing up. 
It was incredible. It was like boom, boom, boom. He's a great performer. I'm yeah. not going to take that away from him. Yeah. But uh, so this was the peak of his his career, and Rogan just has so much respect for the craft of stand-up comedy right. and so much love for other comedians. And he really is the only guy, like, he kind of is like a superhero. <laughs> like, Wolverine's the perfect analogy. Yeah. Because he sticks up for people that can't do it. Like, that's, to me, that's really a lot of what a hero is. And he he was always looking out for the guys there. And there were comedians. Very supportive. Very supportive. Very, very, yeah. very supportive. Like, I will say this. Back in those days, when we were all door guys at the comedy store, Rogan would take us all out to eat. I wanted to make sure we we ate, sure, and would pay for everything, box up food, and give it give us food to go home. I had a roommate, God rest his soul, named Fat James, who was a oh, character. of course, of course, I remember yeah, I lived that. with Fat James for four years, complete. I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, I've been thinking about him a lot lately. Been praying for him, um, because he just had a birthday recently, and it was also the anniversary of his passing. But he used to pay Fat James a hundred bucks a night to watch his car. Oh, really? Yeah, it was one of the funniest things ever. It made me sad because, you know, uh, of course, if you're a comedy fan, you would know a guy like Joe Rogan, but there's other guys, uh, for whatever reason, they didn't get their opportunity or they didn't get their names out there. Yeah. But Fat James was like, he really was part of that uh, institution called Comedy Store on Sunset, you know? For sure. And he was a nice guy. I remember one year when I was working for the Evil Angel porn booth, uh -huh. and he was at the porn convention to film something, for, I don't know for whom, and and he kind of convinced a couple of the guys who I work with, unbeknownst to me, but he will all of a sudden appear from nowhere just in like diaper outfit. And in his over, he's a there's Very a reason heavy. why they call him Fat James. So he he will come behind, grab me, and like you know start wrestling with me. And this fat sweaty guy. Oh, but he he he. He always did things not to humiliate himself, but trying to make people laugh, you know? And, yeah. And it, it really was sad. Um, last time I was able to communicate when it was Facebook, and it was basically right after um, Patrice O'Neill died. Oof. Or or we were we were Facebooking about how sad that he was in coma or something like that. And um, that was what? He passed away three years ago? Uh, let's see. Probably four now. Oh my god, has it been that long? I think so. What? What? He, was it uh, cancer? Yeah. Man, he was a young dude too, like late thirties, right, or maybe early forties, like. Yeah, yeah, I think three years ago, two thousand eleven. I want to say. Yeah. Oh, it's a shame. What was? What was? Uh, and what was it like living with a guy? Oh God, it was like a bad Neil Simon play. It was like a bad sitcom. But uh, like we we're two kids. We, we shared a one-bedroom apartment in this whole building. It was all Russian people. Yeah. And uh, they were the best. I've Russians are the coolest people. Yeah. Like, just, just awesome. And then James and I lived there, and our whole life was comedy, you know? Just uh, hanging out at the comedy store, talking about comedy. Yeah. That's it. We lived at the comedy store. We were probably there six, seven nights a week. When, when, when you, when you find out about his illness, did he? Did you hear from somebody else, or he told you? Uh, it was Joey Cerise that called me from, of Jimmy and Joey fame. Okay. Yeah. So then I called him, and he didn't think it was that big of a deal, and he was like, "No, they're running some tests. Thanks for calling. I just got out of the hospital." And then uh, all these rumors started to float around, and yeah. 
it just you know it just all happened so fast i mean how quickly as soon as you heard about it how, how much he probably had about three months after that i feel i i I, I think I got weirded out because people told me to go and I don't know which hospital when I, I I went, but it was in Sherman Oaks. I just I just right on Van Nuys. I just couldn't go in. Yeah, I mean it's a weird thing, man. Like I don't judge anybody with how they deal with like really bad news or how they handle it. Everybody grieves differently. It was just I kind of I don't remember who died first, but like when I landed in, in Stockholm. And I took a regional bus and got to the ter bus terminal, and Jason Rouse came and picked me up. And first thing he says, oh, Patrice passed away. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it seems so weird with comedians. Like, either they live really long time or they die young, you know? Yep. It's really extreme with the comedians. And It's true. Yeah, it, we lost a lot of people last couple of years, for sure. Um, <laughs> it's turned out to be such a depressing. I know such a depressing podcast. It's 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 depressing because <laughs> this January first in a couple of days, um, you know this will be released way after that. But January first, two thousand five was last time I saw my friend Mitch Hepburn at wow. the Melrose Improv, and I just saw him and his wife walk away. And say, hey, Mitch, and he said, Hey, Oj, and he went to the green room to pick up something. But that was last time I saw him. So yeah, I, I just cannot believe it's close to ten years in a few months. <sighs> Time goes by so fast, man. So just enjoy your friends. Enjoy the times that you have with them, you know? Appreciate, yeah. appreciate every moment. Like, that's definitely going to be my New Year's resolution. Like, I do a pretty good job of enjoying life. Yeah. And letting people know that I love them and whatever. But now, every day, I'm going to appreciate more and more. You, you're turning 40 this year. Oh, um, I already hit 40. Okay. I did it. And it's weird. It's I, I, I like being this old. I... Because things don't throw me the way they used to. And I think I found like a really healthy perspective on things. It's funny you said that because um, I don't know. I found like a notebook like a few years back, something that I wrote from high school. <laughs> it made me laugh because it was all by like problems that I was having or whatnot, right. you know. But I look at, look at now like, why the fuck was that a problem, you know? But I guess at the time you just. You don't know. You, Everything's you don't, a big deal. Like, I remember everybody telling me that, like, oh, high school and college are the best years of your life, and then really enjoy your 20s. They were awful years because I put so much pressure on myself. Instead yeah. of just accepting what life is as, dude, this is all an amazing gift that we have this consciousness and this thing called life and all these great things to experience, but I didn't see it that way. I just saw everything I wanted and needed that, or that I felt that I needed to, to achieve to have this life that everybody says you're supposed to have. You need to have this kind of car. You need to live in this kind yeah. of house. You need to make this kind of money. You're supposed to be married. You're supposed to do all this stuff. And that's not what life's about. Life's about the your relationships, the people in your life, and the, the good times that you share with them. That's it. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I'm at the age, I'm five years older than you, and it, it is scary when you don't have anything, <laughs> you know, and... But it's it's a really extreme. Like when you don't have anything, you don't worry about people suing you because you don't have anything. You yeah, know? nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, I'm not. I, I'm more realistic. I'm not going to change. So I just take one day at a time. But um, I, that that's all. That's all you can do, though. Yeah, yeah. Whether you make that choice or not, that's the only way you can live life. 
Yeah, and, and people that have problem with or people who has money and stuff like that, but it doesn't matter if, if you get sickness or some family tragedy to hit you, really none of that shit really matters, no. you know. Um, so a couple of questions, a couple of big questions. Um, how, do, how do you, because I was surprised, you know so much about wrestling. How, how did that happen? I mean, I know enough watching, but like a guy like you and my friend Dan Madigan, uh -huh. um, know so much about wrestling so you're almost like a savant like you know your shit and you do podcasts with a piper right yeah well i as soon as i started my own podcast i have a podcast i'm going to plug it real fast called good times yeah where it's just we talk about the fun stuff in yeah. life um but prior to that i i co-hosted the rod pod with roddy and now for the past year i've been doing my podcast and he still invites me from time to time to do his podcast sure which is called the rod pod now I think that's what no or Piper's. It's gone through so many different names. What is yeah. it? Piper's Pod, Piper's in the pit with I don't know, but it's on Podcast One and it's awesome, and I get to do it with him sometimes, and it's just like legitimately a dream come true, like just have Roddy Roddy Piper in my on my phone. It's the coolest thing ever. And, and God damn it, I forgot what was the movie. They, they live. live, man. One of the best sci-fi movies ever. It's one of the best sci-fi, and also, it is the longest fight sequence, right? Oh, absolutely. And it, it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty fun watch. And it was I so, think it was all continuous that fight scene too. Yeah, brutal. And it's so good that even South Park made a uh, uh, cripple fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, those guys over at South Park are geniuses. I love everything they do. And so. I want to know, like, I guess from young age, you just got into it, right? Yeah, I loved it. Like, I remember being really little, like two or three. My dad trying to watch wrestling with me and my brothers, and it freaked me out. Because I remember in the opening credits, there was a guy with his head bleeding, and yeah. I was like, ah, change it. <laughs> and then I remember being about five or six and seeing Andre the Giant and thinking he was a real giant. Yeah. And, like, that just tapping into my little kid imagination. Like, this is so cool that things like giants really exist. And then when we moved, I was about eight or nine years old, maybe seven, seven years old, when we moved to an area that had cable television. Like, before the Internet, before, I mean, the 1980s, cable TV wasn't even everywhere. But the coolest thing about getting cable TV was that once a month there was a local Philadelphia cable channel called Prism that would show pro wrestling live from the Philadelphia spectrum every time they came to town. And I remember watching that as like seven or eight years old, and I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm a fan, and I've been pretty much a fan. And who were, who were some of you, your fans of who back in those days? In back in those days, I was like nine, ten years old when – um. Okay, I remember being like six or seven and seeing Hulk Hogan. A lot of people don't acknowledge this, mm -hmm. but uh, Hulk Hogan did wrestle in the WWF before Rocky Three, before Hulkamania uh, took off in the AWA, and then he was brought to the WWF. He had an early stint as a bad guy where he wrestled Andre the Giant, and he I believe he did body slam Andre the Giant before that famed WrestleMania Three match. Um, yeah, he did. I'm um, for sure. I remember them talking about that when I was a little baby kid. And then, uh, 
I remember seeing Hulk Hogan and Rocky three when I was about 10 and loving it. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Cause I remembered him yeah. from years earlier when, and when you're six to 10, those four years seem like forever. And now we, I don't, I could not see a friend for four years and pick up in the same conversation. Sure. You know, it's weird. But then I remember Hulkamania, what was it, January 24th, 1984, he won the title from <laughs> Bob Backlund. I mean, of course from you would know the Iron day. Sheik. Yeah. Yeah, it was late January of 84, and that's what got me back in. Like, then I was in for real. And then we, uh, TBS would run Georgia Championship Wrestling on Saturday nights, uh, live at the Omni in Atlanta with Gordy Soli. And then I think the best year of my life when I was about 12 years old, we had WWF wrestling because Philly was the WWF territory. But the NWA at the time, the Jim Crockett stuff, was making a push into the W. It was a war, pretty much, between the two territories. And we, I could watch Hulk Hogan and those guys wrestle. And then the hour after that on a different channel, they showed Ric Flair wrestle. And I'm like, this is the happiest I've ever been. Um, I think last year or maybe a year and a half, two years ago, Ric Flair showed up at the 49ers um uh, training facility because it was a little before the it was the night before the playoff game. Playoff game, man. These are like professional athletes, multimillionaires. They were losing it. Lose, dude. They're, Rick they're, Flair. They're, okay, because here's the thing about wrestling. I think you need to have a a sense of humor to get it. Um, there's just something very childlike about it, yeah. and something so cool. And uh, I remember my my buddy Brian Irwin was actually filming something. The night I met Piper, it was like January of 2010, maybe? Yeah. No, January 2009. And Brian was interviewing like all the comedians. And I go, here's the thing. Pro wrestling's kind of like a comic book that comes to life. So you can't believe that these guys are actual human beings. And there's something about guys that you grow up with that are always going to be bigger stars to you than your contemporaries. Well, and, Ric Flair, for sure. Yeah and, yeah, and somebody like Ric Flair is legitimately larger than life. Yeah. And perfect hair. <laughs> oh, dude, the funniest shit ever yeah. is Ric Flair promos. Like whenever I'm having a bad day, I'll just hop I'll, I'll log on the YouTube and start watching Ric Flair promos. And there are people that have compiled like all of 1984 Ric Flair, Flair promos in a row. And I can watch them for an hour because he says the funniest things in the world. Yeah. And like uh, there's this rapper from Philly named Meek Mill who sampled in a, a Ric Flair promo at the beginning of his the song called about that life. Yeah. And it's the funniest thing ever. It's just Ric Flair saying like, how dare you have my name in your mouth when I've spent more money on spilt liquor <laughs> on bars across the world than you made last year. You're talking about the limousine ride and jet fly and kiss deal and wheel and deal and son of a gun. It's the greatest thing ever. And Flair and Piper were best friends. Like I remember, I guess it will be, it was 2005. All those guys got inducted to the WWF Hall of Fame. WrestleMania was out here in L.A. And the night before WrestleMania, me and Brett Ernst went to the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, and we saw Ric Flair give the induction speech for Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, wow. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. You know, I people, people who um, attack wrestling as fake whatever, well, these people sh should also say, when they see Valerina dancing like that's fake too, but they don't get, they don't understand the part of this, this physicality, this, this amazing thing that they do. 
it, it is a you know uh, theater slash drama too, but you have to have the athletic ability and physical ability to do all those amazing, crazy, and you know, and, and I always forget the guy. There was a guy who got killed seven, eight years ago. Remember? Yeah. Uh, so it's very dangerous what they're oh, doing. Oh, it's brutal. And it, here's the thing too that I think a lot of people. I'm not very excited about the current WWE product. Yeah. Um, because I think somewhere along the line they put too much of an emphasis on the entertainment value and not enough on the wrestling value. Sure. Because that era I grew up in was a very magical, special time for pro wrestling. Uh, it was the end of what they call the territory days and was kind of like when the WWF started to take over the world. Okay, which and wrestling went from this niche entertainment to mainstream family entertainment. Wasn't sorry to interrupt, but wasn't there a lot of connection between like wrestling was almost like a carnival show? Like they're going to town to town to town. Yes, that that's where modern pro wrestling sort of grew out of. Okay, and up until I would say the last last generation of wrestlers, like I even think it sprinkled down to like. The last, I think the last awesome era of pro wrestling was what they call the attitude era of about 14 years ago. Okay. From like 96 to about 2001 was the last great, in my opinion, mm -hmm. great era of pro wrestling because there was still competition. You had the Monday Night Wars between WCW and the WWF, and the competition brings out the best in everybody. Um, but I think those guys were the last generation to really uh, have that carny influence. Because up until that point, guys like Piper, who's he started wrestling when he was a fourteen-year-old kid. Yeah, um, crazy, crazy. Somebody will take his life story and win an Academy Award with it. He's the most fascinating, coolest, greatest guy I've ever met, and a legit. He won't. He never talks about it himself, but he's a legitimate tough guy. And guys from that era had to be. And there was much more of. They could tell more in the ring with their wrestling skills than these guys do now with a script and a microphone. Something's been lost. They have to bring, they have to put more of a focus back on the wrestling. And, and how does, how does um, Vince McMahon kind of figure into the history of wrestling? Because his dad was a wrestling promoter, right? Correct. Okay. How, how big was his dad in the Huge. business? But he, cause he, he ran the most lucrative territory, which was like Boston, New York, Philly, out to uh. Pittsburgh. But it was almost like, uh, it was almost, how can I say this without getting myself in trouble? It, it was almost like a gangster type thing. You're like, this is my turf, this is your turf. Right. And Vince's dad had a huge territory. And there was only one guy in the 70s that could cross the territory boundaries without getting into trouble, and that was Andre the Giant. Ah. And, it was, and I believe it was Vince's dad had Andre under contract but was smart enough of a guy to understand that Andre the Giant works best when you don't see him all the time because uh, you want your giant to be indestructible. And if the guy's always indestructible, people are going to lose interest. I see. So Andre lived on the road, and he would go from territory to territory. To, he was like a stand-up comic. <laughs> like, coming next week, Andre the Giant. Get your tickets early. So what... So why was um, I know Vince is a you know great promoter of the sport, huge, changed um, everything, and he still is like a bigger. I mean, he literally is bigger than like he's a big dude. Yeah, um, I saw him last year with Gabriel backstage at WrestleMania, and it was like seeing Santa Claus. You can't 
that's one of the things I do love about pro wrestling, I think, because the 40-year-old version of me and the 8-year-old version of me yeah. get to hang out together. Sure. It's, there are certain things in life that are time machines for me. Like if I hear a certain song, if I eat a certain food, and pro wrestling is one of them where it makes me feel like I'm a little kid again. And those guys that I grew up watching, they make me – it's like seeing Vince McMahon. Like you don't think he's a real human. I mean, he really is bigger than life, you know. And last Friday, I went to OC, Orange County, and uh, Honda Center and watched uh, Gabriel Iglesias just sell out. Honda it's amazing. Yeah. I saw the pictures. 12, 13, 14, whatever it is, 1,000 people. But And Gabriel was a Mark Maris podcast. He talked about how much um, wrestling and Vince McMahon had a huge influence, how he approached business side of it. And, and Gabriel is a funny guy, but he's also a very, very smart guy and savvy. He's brilliant. So when he starts merchandise, he learned a lot from the Wrestling Federation. And even he... The way he approached the show, it, it, you could you could see like, oh yeah, this is like huge wrestling influence. You know, he know how to entertain the crowd, and they just loving the whole thing. You know? Yes. And so he has some dealing with the uh, Vince and Patrice O'Neill. Rest his soul. He used to work for Vince McMahon. I know that's so cool. And and Patrice knew a lot about wrestling. So I was shocked. I, I didn't know he was that into it. He he he's into the uh, wrestling and and when it comes to entertainment, Vince is a very savvy guy. But genius. How so? Eventually, he took control of everything, right? I mean, yeah. This was the genius of Vince McMahon. Like he really did change it from this regional product to mainstream family entertainment. But what he did was through the power of cable television. He um. Whoops. I don't want to. Oh no, it's cool. It's, it's, um, he he sent his videotapes out. He sent his television show into other territories. So he wasn't doing the live show. He wasn't doing live cards in AWA territory or NWA territory. Or that's the loophole with those guys. Well, I don't know if they saw it as a loophole, but that's what Vince did. Yeah, and he slowly took over the world. And it was just the perfect storm. It really was because if you think Hogan wins the title in '84. And then a year later, we have the first WrestleMania in March of 85. God, it's been 30 years? Yep. Last year was WrestleMania 30. Oh, man. Incredible. And I remember going to the first WrestleMania, not live, but via closed circuit before there was pay-per-view. Yeah. People went. He sold out the Philadelphia Spectrum 18,000 seats to watch WrestleMania on a giant screen. Do you know how incredible that is? Yeah. That's insane. And how did you meet Piper, uh, Roddy Piper? Uh, it was Eric Abrams from the from the improv. Because I used to have all these jokes about me and my brothers watching wrestling. Yeah. Uh, and he goes, hey, man, I'm doing a show called Rowdy Comedy with Roddy Piper. Do you want to do it? And I was like, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so all the other guys on the show were wrestling fans, but they didn't have stories or jokes about pro wrestling yeah and i was like oh and i jumped right into it the stuff about me and my brothers watching wrestling and how much fun that was and piper loved it roddy loved it and we became friends and, and it was very surreal if you want to know the truth that, that that's got to be weird because number one like i remember the joke i had when he wanted to hang out because this was a legitimate thought i had because my grown-up brain was like, this is the coolest thing ever. 
But my inner 11-year-old was like, I don't think you should trust him. <laughs> Remember what he did to Superfly Snooker with those coconuts? <laughs> so the whole time, like, I'm meeting his family, sure. his daughters, his son. And he's, he's the ultimate family guy. He's the coolest dude ever. But in the back of my brain, I'm going, but he's still Roddy Piper. He's a bad guy. I met him briefly through Russell Peters, you know, because um, I, I keep forgetting that he's from Canada. You know, yes. Because I always thought he's from Scotland. Shit, yeah, you know? From Glasgow, yeah. Scotland. But he's from Saskatoon, if I remember yes, right. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, man, he had me laughing because he has so many good stories. The craziest stories of all time. And He's lived a million lives. And um, he loves Russell, and Russell loves him. And, you know, it was just like, you know. I got to get to know Russell better. I just know him in passing, but he seems like the nicest, coolest nicest dude, dude ever. He likes, um, you know, he's mostly like mixed martial boxing guy, but he really appreciates wrestling, like, Anything physical, you know, like. Yeah, plus he loves old school hip hop. He's a DJ. Yeah. He's good friends with Jazzy Jeff. All those guys. Yeah, DJ all Premier. the stuff All the stuff I love, Russell loves too. That's why I got to become friends with him. I got to. Um, he knows you though, right? Yeah. I know him from the comedy store. Just, uh, you should come down to Irvine Improv next week. No, not next week. Following week with me. Uh, is it next week? Yeah, it is next weekend. January 9th, 10th, and 11th, I think. Irvine, he's he's doing a show there. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ask if, if I could get you on the show or something, too. So. Oh, no, I wouldn't want to. I'd be too nervous. But yeah. I would just like to meet him. Or yeah, come out. over. Um, he was at the comedy store the other night, but I was out of town. He's just such a cool dude. Do you know what I mean? Like, even with, like, Gabriel, before I ever got to do a show with him or anything, I just heard so many awesome things about him. And here's the reason why I bring up Gabriel and Russell, because in comedy. Their shows are like wrestling event. Yeah, oh, 100%. But it's it's a very difficult business to not only have the respect, but the admiration of all your peers. Meaning, so many people struggle so difficult. It's such a difficult business that people become bitter and that when people make it, they're always looking to sort of, for lack of a better word, piss on yeah. the guys on the top. Like, you hear comedians just bitch and moan and complain and talk about this guy stole this or this guy cheated to do this. You c literally can't get bigger than Russell and Gabe in terms of box office draw. Maybe Kevin Hart. That's about it. But you'll those three, never. Those three are the, probably the biggest in terms of how many people show up for one show. Absolutely. And you never hear anybody say anything bad about. I, I don't know anything about Kevin. I met him at an open mic years ago in Philly, and he seemed like a sweetheart. Yeah. But in my crew... Everybody loves Gabe. Yeah. Everybody loves Russell. And that that honestly means you kind of have to be a saint because comedians will say bad things about anybody. And, and I, I've never met the guy, but I keep hearing nice things about Kevin. But isn't Kevin from Philly? Too? Yeah. yeah. Dude, I, okay, I met Kevin at an open mic back in 99, I want to say. And he was the sweetest, nicest guy ever. And he was like, I'm a North Philly. I'm a ghetto legend. I remember him saying that. You got to come to North Philly with me. They'll love you. They'll love you. And I was working full-time at the time and was thinking about doing comedy. And I should have, if I would have stayed friends with Kevin Hart, <laughs> who knows what would have happened. I saw him once at the gym. I see, I meet everybody at the gym. Yeah. I, me I remember seeing Dice at the gym. When me and Gabe were on the road, we'd go to the gym together. Gym's the best. But uh, Kevin was at the gym, and I was like, should I go say something? Do you think he'll remember me? <laughs> <laughs> And you know what's so interesting about those three? 
you know, every time there's something horrible happening in states, race this and that, it makes news. But 90% of the time, things are actually getting better. People get along. The fact that three biggest comic are Latino, East Indian slash Anglo-Indian, and a black uh, African-American guy. That's just amazing. Like It's awesome. Yeah. Don't and, believe the hype. I think, uh, I think the man wants to divide and conquer people because that's how you that's how you keep selling people bullshit they don't need you keep yeah. them miserable you keep your power whatever i don't know i honestly i don't know why but i do know this that people are amazing and i think things are ultimately getting better you know i really do i think like i said at the beginning of our conversation i was like people are as soon as you get to know anybody they're sure. so lovable they're so fascinating they're so cool and i think we really have to look beyond the headlines and beyond the bullshit and just see Celebrate everything we have in common with yeah. each other. So yeah, I, I didn't know you were such a wrestling fan, and huge. And, and, and I, 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 my knowledge is superficial, but all I could tell you is, when you're when you're a young kid, and you broke, and you only have a few dollars for like a couple bags for a potato chip and yes. a bottle of coke, and all you could do is just watch wrestling with your brother and just you know. You start horsing around, jumping on the couch, and start doing some moves and stuff. It's you know? the most fun yeah. ever, ever. You don't need a million bucks to have a good time. You just need the right people. That's it, it. But you know the guy who used to make me laugh was, what's his name, Kurt Angle? Oh, dude. Because he had a gold medal, and like that made me laugh because that's so awesome. Because so awesome. Most Olympic winners are very humble. <laughs> well, that was the whole joke. Yeah, it's a big joke, and like yeah. people got mad at him, like. That's not being respectful. No, he, this is he's just playing this a funny character now. You know? Yes, but it's it's very funny. It be, it's really cocky to show like I don't care who you are, but look at this. This is this will you'll never have this. Oh, so hysterical! I'll tell you what. If MMA was around ten years earlier, I think Kurt Angle would have been a beast. Man, be, yeah, because he he is an unbelievable athlete, and he competed against world's best wrestlers in the Olympics and beat yeah. beat every one of them. And uh, have a intelligence and have a sense of humor to play yeah, that dude. role. He would have sold. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so every time he showed gold medal, me I would just start clapping. It's so funny to do that. <laughs> Hysterical. But d is there any particular wrestler that you thought, God, this is this guy is so underrated. More people should know this person. Hmm. I think they all sort of got their chance okay uh what i thought was kind of sad was growing up in philly uh during that attitude era there was a, a local promotion called ecw uh extreme championship wrestling and there was so much talent in that that i thought some of those guys like there was this guy named sabu that was amazing and this other guy named taz that were amazing that didn't become huge huge wrestling stars but what happened was is that Paul Heyman, the genius behind ECW, now is like one of the top creative guys with the WWE. And he's the only reason I watch pro wrestling still because he's got the best mic skills. I see. And he manages Brock Lesnar. Oh, and wow. It's, it's the greatest. It's the most entertaining. Whenever Paul Heyman touches a microphone, it's the funniest, most entertaining 15 minutes on television that week. Uh, but he used to have this, his own promotion that blurred the line between I, I mean I was not a kid watching this going this might be real and they broke all the rules of pro wrestling and then that's kind of like 
comedians, we use the term persona versus material. Yeah. WWE definitely took their persona to win, to win, to win the, uh, attitude era Monday night wars against WCW. And that's where guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin cut his teeth in ECW. And th- th- to me, Stone Cold's the last great. Stone Cold, The Rock, that era, those guys were awesome. And nope. now it's just, you know, it's just not... Maybe because I'm a full-blown grown-up. Maybe after I have kids and I have somebody to watch wrestling, it'll, it'll, it'll get awesome. for sure. Yeah, yeah it'll be, and that's one cool thing about wrestling. It comes and goes in my life. I always sort of check into it. You know, I'm never totally out of the loop. Like last year, these guys... Awesome. The Wyatts came out and they were like these backwoods dudes that it got was really dark and scary. And I was like, oh, this is the best thing ever. But that sort of lost momentum. Historically, how how do you rank Rock? You know, I think had he stayed just a pro wrestler, he could have gone down as the best ever. Wow. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Because he had such a pedigree. And I mean, obviously, look at his charisma off the charts. He's the bro. He's the number one. He's the biggest movie star in the world. So he easily could have gone down as the greatest pro wrestler ever. I, I just love watching him because not only did he look the part, he he was a phenomenal wrestler. But I just like that theater. You know, it's, it's, oh, it's, he got it, it. It's not even different from watching opera. You know, like this guy could talk, entertain the crowd, and give a show, entertaining show, you know. Oh, the best. I remember meeting him back in 99 at the peak of – his that was the biggest and i was like wow he's so quiet off stage he's so and that's when i was before i got involved in comedy and i was like oh guys can just flick a switch and when that dude flicks the switch it's lights out dude it's amazing and i love um i follow his instagram and he does put funny clips in there but man whenever he films stuff with him working out the guy is a beast he is a beast. oh my god beast. I'm, I'm glad he's a gentle guy because Holy fuck! He's not a. I mean, he's got. He's a tall dude, isn't he? I've never seen him in person, but yeah, he's not gigantic. But yeah, he's over, he's well over six feet tall. Wow! But you know his his lineage. His dad. His dad was, was a wrestler, right? Yeah, his dad was Rocky Johnson, and his uncles were the Wild Samoans, on his mom's side, and his grandfather, his maternal grandfather, was this guy Prince Mayavia. Wow! Who was a uh, legit. A Samoan prince of a warrior. I mean, that's a warrior culture. Those guys are no joke. A couple of my Samoan friends were always telling me, like, yeah, he he does he does have a pedigree. Pedigree, line. yeah, yeah, for real. I mean, if there is such thing as a ro- royal family, he's probably one. You know. Yeah, royal family of pro wrestling, hundred percent. And um, that the podcast you're doing with Piper, um, I'm, I'm sure. Are you are you at the point where you're not starstruck anymore, or are you still kind of? No, well, I haven't seen Roddy in a while, so okay. now it's weird. It's like I just want to see my buddy. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, for the first year, I would say it was every time I was hanging out with him, I was like, this is kind of strange, strange, and really cool and strange. Um, but now it's just, you know, I just I miss my friends. I haven't done a podcast with him in a while. He's going to do my podcast, Good Times, again. And I just want to hang out and see him. You know, it's cool. It's really amazing how life can turn out. Because when I was like 11 years old, I remember I had a T-shirt that said, I hate Rowdy Roddy Piper. Why? Because he was so mean. Oh. He was such a bad guy. He was like, 
the most hated heel in the history of pro wrestling. Like, he was the number one all-time bad guy by Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And that outfit that he wore, and, like, uh, on anyone else, including myself and, my, like, my dad or something, it would look goofy, but he looked good in it, you know? Like, the T-shirt with, uh, what do you call those, uh, um, uh, Scottish outfit that, that he wore? The kilt. The kilt, yeah. Man, he he was great. Oh, man. the greatest. So cool. Like, oh, my God, what a great guy. What a great, great, great. Oh, because uh, earlier we were talking, I was like, how I, the toughest guys I've met balance that out, you know? And, like, the Roddy I know is the sweetest. He's a family man. He just talks about his kids and his wife, and that's why he does everything. His grandchildren, sweetest guy ever. But, like, when I'd get around some of his contemporaries, they'd be like, you know, this Roddy, he was like, he got he got stabbed in the heart by a fan. And still fought the guy. Wait, how did this happen? Like going to bar or something? Or? Outside the ring. Vince McMahon gave him a special leather jacket that was stab proof. Okay. I never I, heard this. Oh, yeah. Every, dude, like legitimate, because he was trained. He's one of the few black belts Judo Gene LaBelle ever gave out. Calls him Uncle Gene. He took me to the dojo I met. Who, if you Google Judo Jean LaBelle, I mean, all legitimate martial artists say he's one of the toughest guys that ever walked the planet. And, um, you know, he taught Bruce Lee, he taught Chuck Norris. Wow. Like, f- and also the sweetest man I've ever met. But, like, you could go, okay, this guy, he's 80 years old, but he could snap my neck like a breadstick. But what was the circumstance? He was just walking in an arena and somebody just stabbed him? or uh... He saw a guy hit a kid. Oh. And so Piper got in, in on it. And the guy right after the fight, like the right after the wrestling match. Yeah, and the guy had a, had a knife hit him, and just stabbed. Yep, and blood was coming out. Got him like uh, if it was it half an inch closer, oh. he would have been dead. It was like tried to stab him right in the heart. Did they get the guy? Yeah, the cops were right there, and Piper wanted to. She was telling the cops to let him go so he could kill, so he could beat him up. So uh, okay, wait. Let me finish oh, the yeah, story. Yeah. All right. So these are just stories like other wrestlers and Roddy shares them. His podcast is amazing, but like he had told me a story. Just the wrestling promoters were just vicious people. So he had gone down in a plane crash earlier in the day and broke his neck, but the promoter still made him wrestle that night. <laughs> of course. So they had police officers walk him to the ring so nobody could get to him. And it was a tag team match, and mm-hmm. he was just barely in it. And then they took him to the hospital after that. So I'm like, that's crazy. And then a few years ago, he wrestled Terry Funk. When you say a few years ago, like three years ago, he was wrestling. Yes. Oh, and that's he. Bro- he's walk- Roddy was walking around with a broken neck for like four months. Do you know how tough you have to be to be walking around with a broken neck, and you're like. What's the matter, Roddy? Ah, champ. My neck's a little stiff. Stiff. So he goes to the doctors, and they're like, oh, my God. If it wasn't for all the muscle and scar tissue, they were like, you'd be paralyzed. Yeah. Insane. Whole other level of tough. But but going back, I mean, he got stabbed. So what did they take him? He's been stabbed like three or four times. (laughs) Jesus. He told me he's got the best stories. He talks about all this stuff on his podcast. But uh, there was a, I forget which wrestler it was that gave him a pistol, a gun, and this was like, this was the philosophy on it. The first uh, barrel is empty, or revolver. First barrel's empty. 
second one has a blank and the third one has got a real bullet in it. Okay. Because he was like, in general, if a person just sees that you have a gun, 90% of the people should be scared enough to just run. Right. Now, if you have to squeeze the trigger Mm -hmm. and the blank goes off, that should get scared the shit out of of you. Right. But if the guy's still there after they hear that, you're going to have to kill him. Right. Crazy. I just can't imagine most average person taking that kind of abuse. That he, he, you know, I, oh, I most people would be dead. I would imagine. Yeah, and then just just the uh, he did a great podcast with me where he talked about um, he was the last era where they protected the business really, mm-hmm. and you weren't playing a character. He was Roddy Piper twenty four hours a day, so. And he was hated. He got paid. He sold the tickets because, like, he caused more riots than any, like, legitimate riots. When he was in Santa Domingo, they burned the they burned the arena down to the ground. He caused a riot out here at the L.A. Sportatorium where they threw every chair into the ring. He that's what he he caused riots, but he was like, it's one. He, he was like, it's one one way to do that in the ring. But he he talked about he would have to. Like, you know, he's on the road. Yeah. He's out of Howard Johnson's. It's two in the morning. They're driving to the next gig. And he'd have to pay the cook at Hojo's 20 bucks not to spit in his food and watch him make it. That's that, that's so weird. Like, people can't. God, I guess he was such a good entertainer. You couldn't, you couldn't separate the two. Couldn't but. separate the two. And it was a different time. Like, people just thought... But by, by the time he did Day Live, the people started must having different opinions with him, don't you? Yeah, wouldn't you think? Yes. Well, he he walked away from the. He kind of stepped back from wrestling to do that, and then he did become a fan favorite. He became a fan favorite when he you, boxed if, if, Mr. T, and that wasn't supposed to happen. But the real wrestling fans knew what was happening. He was protecting. He lived to protect the business. If because you if you haven't seen the movie you need to watch it because it's it's it, it does have the '80s feel but it's um it's so watchable oh it's awesome it's you and Shepard Fairey the street artist he copied the whole skull thing right yeah. all of it yeah all of it. It, it it's such a phenomenal film and like I I I think I went to see it in theaters and I, I I was I didn't know what to make of it but I was clearly entertained you know the fighting sequence. God damn. It, oh, it's it, so good. Now I go back and I go, oh, my God, this is one of the best movies ever. I couldn't really appreciate it as much as a kid. But now I look at it and go, this is incredible. But did he have a much of a career in film after that? Because was that the biggest thing he did? Because I think it was. I think it was. So weird how that kind of ends for people because I thought, holy shit, he's going to be a huge star. star. Yeah. yeah, I don't understand anything about Hollywood or show business. Because I guess the rock have to be the biggest star coming out of wrestling right oh yeah for sure i mean the rock's the biggest movie star i would say there is right now right for action stuff he's got to be up there you know uh i'd say the your big stars are mark Wahlberg, the rock i think tom cruise is still a big player in those uh, tom hanks yeah will smith will smith for sure will smith uh liam neeson Oh, yeah, Taken 1, 2, and 3. Oh, yeah. the best. Yeah, but that's it. I mean, The Rock is... Uh, 
Sp- speaking of movie, you know, I, I forgot who made the movie Res- uh, Wrestler. Was that Wrestler? Uh, Darren Aronofsky. That's right. And you know a lot about wrestling, history of wrestling. Yeah. And have you spoken to Piper about that, that movie? Because you, you feel empathy for these guys because, sure, when you're the star, it looks great, but there's plenty of guys trying to make you know the big stage. Not, yeah. not everyone's going to get that chance. And how heartbreaking is to watch those guys just breaking their bodies oh, for yeah. entertaining the crowd, you know? And That was a very powerful movie. And I remember Roddy telling me that uh, it didn't necessarily scratch the surface. I wish, you know, it, it would be great if you produced. There's a great podcast. Okay. Because what I've heard, I don't know much. But I heard that one of Aronofsky's influences for creating that character, Mickey Rourke, portrayed brilliantly, was Jake the Snake Roberts. Ooh. He was pretty much based off of Jake the Snake because there was a great documentary, I believe in 1998, 1999, called Beyond the Mat. Um, fascinating documentary. Yeah. They profile Mick Foley. They profile Jake the Snake. It's really cool. Uh, it's a must for any wrestling fan or any fan of humans. It's yeah. just such such a powerful story. Anyway, there was some really cool stuff with Jake the Snake, who's been through everything a human being can possibly go through. And I think it was one of the last podcasts I got to do with Roddy was around the time of WrestleMania when Jake the Snake got inducted this year. Mm-hmm. And he gave a great speech and it was very heartwarming and life-affirming. But I did a podcast with Roddy Piper and Jake the Snake called in. Oh, really? It was amazing. Because those guys are OGs. They're, they've they've seen it all. And they have such a love and admiration and respect for each other. And super, wh- super And cool. what was he like on the phone when you were talking to him? Oh, I met him with Gabriel. Okay. Backstage that at, at WrestleMania. God, I mean, damn, Gabriel's... His, the he, coolest. Yeah, he... I owe him... I, I don't know. I, he's just the best. He really is. I have the best friends in the world. Like, I'm so blessed. Like, Ari, Renazizi, Uncle Joey, Gabe, you, Rogan. It's like, what? You got, Red you got to come with me to see meet up with Russell because I'm, I'm 99% sure he knows you or knows of you, you know? So you yeah. need to come down, meet him, and um, um, Rogan, Russell, all those guys love each other. And, um, yeah, so Russell cool. was really happy that um, Gabriel was doing so well, you know? Um but yeah, there's only three guys who does that. Like they go country to country, city to city. It's amazing. Arena, <laughs> like it's, it's am- so weird. It's so weird because the only other people that did it was uh, Steve Martin and Dice. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm still a big fan of Dice and fuck anybody who sell out Madison Square Garden. That's um, incredible. Comedy, I think, is bigger now than it's ever been. And I think I think you're right. Podcasts, you know, even with my little dinky podcast, and when. Rogan was kind enough to l- let me be on the show. Holy fuck, man. I, I was in a show in Stockholm, and some guy drove five hours to come and see the show, and he just heard me on, you know, when I did Rogan and things like that. And I think people appreciate how the connection that they're making Absolutely. to each other and more honest conversation. Yeah, You don't have to worry about language restriction and, you know. Or not even that. Like, I think the coolest thing about podcasts is when people drop their persona. Yeah. And they just let's just keep it real. It's not bad morning radio when it's like, so Yoshi, uh, let's talk about where you're gonna be Friday night. You know, 
And that I could that? never do that because yeah. it puts too much pressure on me. All right, just write down your three best jokes and I'll lead you into them. And I'm like, I don't tell jokes, bro. Just walk out on stage and I hang out with an audience. I I, I think I think people just like to have they want to hear a conversation between two friends, you know. Um This is what I think. Number one, I think people are, technology in a weird way is kind of isolated people. Yes. And people don't have these types of conversations anymore. Strange because, sorry to interrupt, you see two kids sitting next to each other, but they're busy texting to somebody else. Exactly. They don't even talk to each other. Correct. So I think people like to hear these conversations. Yeah. And the cool thing is they are, they're, like I tell the people that listen to my podcast, we're all hanging out together. Sure. So now that person, well, I used to love Howard Stern when I was younger. Love, like huge Stern Huge fan. influence, yeah. And I remember like, in college, I'd wake up early at 6 a.m., turn on Stern, and go back to sleep. And I, I would f be half awake, half asleep, and I would just imagine I was in the studio with yeah. these guys. Like, I like look over to my left, and there's Jackie, and then there's Robin, and there's Fred. Like, I felt like I was part of it. And I think in a, in a very real way, he's, he was that bridge between mainstream broadcasting and the advent of the podcast. Because yeah. he did get a little more vulnerable, a little bit more real. And I think people want that. Uh, they want the conversations. They want to feel connected in a world where we're all starting to feel a little more lonely and isolated. Sure. Then I think what blows me away is because I do pretty much a nostalgia pod podcast, but the kids that listen, like legitimate children listen to it because they want to know what it was like being, and it makes sense to me now because I just rewatched a Christmas story over Christmas. Yeah. And when I was nine years old, I thought that was the funniest movie ever. <laughs> yes. And I still do as a grown yeah. man. Yeah. But I go, oh, little kids just like hearing about little kids stuff. Yeah. Because I, I, <laughs> I got a letter from this kid that was 11 that listened to my podcast. I'm like, what? Okay. But then the college kids that listen. And I think the college kids listen to podcasts because of how authentic this is. Sure. And I think that generation has been marketed to since they were in diapers. And everything was done by a focus group. And what do they like? And what's this? And what do you want to hear? And this is just fucking real. And I think I think when you listen to shows like uh, Mark Maron and Rogan, even if they're talking to people you have no interest, like subject matter, but you could appreciate like they're both interested in what they're talking about. Yeah. And you just become part of the conversation. Um, God damn it. What I was going to say to you. Oh, no. We were talking about podcasts. You were talking about that squad being over in Sweden or some shit. That and. Because um, before I, that, you were talking about Russell Peters and then Rogan. It, it, I guess I was trying to. There was some example when people. Oh, oh I remember. Um, I like hearing whenever Burt Kreischer and Tom Segura talk, because <laughs> it's just it's just fun listening to them talk talk a bunch of nonsensical stuff. But you could hear that's a genuine friendship, you know. Yes. And they're talking some goofy stuff. And when Burt Kreischer laughed. It's the second best laughter right after Ricky Gervais. It just, I don't know. He doesn't, he, that guy, he doesn't even have to tell a joke. He just needs to just laugh. It just makes me laugh. You oh, know? he's the best. He is. I got to do his podcast. It was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Like, legitimately. I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to hang out at the Kreischer's house. And we, did he have the back house when he went? Yeah. yeah the, the man, man cave. cave. Yeah. Legit awesome. When I, when I heard about it, I thought it was bullshit. And like, holy shit. And he told me they just show up one weekend, built the whole damn thing, you know? And That's I, incredible. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, check Tom Segura and Christina Pazinski's podcast. And, 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 That's called uh, Your Mom's House, right? Yeah, and uh, Burt Kreischer's and Burt Cass. Burt Cass. Yeah. And, man, the I, you know, I hope someday you maybe – have you thought of a writing book about wrestling and stuff? I want to do a TV show. I wrote a treatment a couple years ago. Revolving around the wrestling. Yeah. yeah. But it'd be more dramedy. Like the Sopranos of pro wrestling. Oh, man. Yeah. You because know, I got to spend a lot of time with Roddy and shape a lot of his stories. And I was like, oh, this is what I really want to do. That that makes sense because I think when people saw a wrestler as a movie, I was thinking like, wow, I, I bet they could do a script to show up with uh-huh. Dolby and Ryan. For wrestling, sure. Yeah. For sure. I It just... You know, baseball have major and minor league systems, so I'm sure wrestling have a minor league system yep. of their own. Man, these guys... And it's awesome. Here's the cool thing. There's this uh, wrestling thing called NXT, Next Generation, guys. Awesome. It's more like old school wrestling. And indie wrestling is the coolest. Like, there's this thing out here in L.A. called Pro... What is it? PGW, Pro Gorilla Wrestling or something? Yeah. Or PWG, Pro Wrestling Gorilla? Incredible. My buddy Josh, Autistic Thunder, Meyerowitz goes every time. I'm always on the road, but I see the videos online. It's indie wrestling right now. It's like stand-up comedy, like how everybody knows these famous comedians. Sure. Then there's a whole generation behind them, like your Bill Burr's, your Sebastian's that are like incredible. Really cool. Same thing in wrestling. Well, Bill Burr's definitely already uh, put himself in the highest level right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But like... Every stand-up comics, you know, for the last five years, Bill Burr's been the best. And Burr I didn't know, and Sebastian. And I didn't know Brett Ernst Gabriel. was a, uh, a wrestling fan. I didn't know that. Huge. Huge. I think anybody that grew up with brothers has at least an appreciation for pro I, wrestling. I, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and I think pro wrestling, skateboards, there's certain things that every kid is a fan of, at least for a few weeks out of their childhood. You know? Like, I don't know any kid that wasn't fascinated by pro wrestling for at least two weeks. It just, they're, they do all those crazy movements. Like, it's just shocking, you know? And Oh, so cool. And just the drama and theater of it. See, that I, was the best. I think pro wrestling started to fall apart for me. I used to love, like, when you think back to, like, Ric Flair's interviews or Piper's Pit. Yeah. Where guys would talk about what they were going to do in the ring. But once they got to the ring, it was on. Yeah. But now you have these two guys holding microphones like they're on a podcast. Well, wait till I get my hands on you. (laughs) No, wait until. (laughs) Well, just drop the mics and do it, pussy. Yeah. But when I was a little kid, like, Mean Gene Okerlund would interview Randy Macho Man Savage. Oh, yeah. Hulk Hogan. And he would talk about what he was going to do to Hogan. And you knew Hogan's in the locker room going, wait till I, oh, what's he saying? It was like seventh grade where, oh, I'll meet you at the pit at three o'clock. And then guys went to the ring and settled it. And they were better wrestlers. They were able to tell the story in the ring. And you met uh, Vince McMahon, right? No, he just walked by me. Ah. And it was awesome. And did you ever meet or see Stephanie or? No, but my buddy Chris Bell speaks very highly of her, that she's really a sweet person. But I never met her. I used to work at Gold's Gym in Venice, too, and I would see all those guys down there. Oh, really? Yeah. It was the greatest. Um, the best was when Rick Flair, Rick Flair came to the gym, no lie, in a super stretch white limo. <laughs> Legit. 
Because I remember I only worked there for a little bit. I was like working behind the counter, and Ric Flair comes in. I was like, holy! Because I met Hulk Hogan there. Yeah. I met Randy Orton. I met. Uh, I'd see Stone Cold in there all the time, but I would never approach him. Yeah, never. Uh, I'd. I didn't. I saw Mark Henry in there. Beast, like legitimate world strongest man guy. Uh, and then when Ric Flair's coming, this kid didn't know who he was. Was asking him for his ID. Sir, do you have your membership card? <laughs> and he goes, Well, I kind of have a special deal with yeah. Gold Score. And I go, No, 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 this guy's good. He goes, He doesn't have his card, Steve. I go, No, no, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> and he goes, Yeah, I have this special legend. And I go, Sir, I know who you are. And he goes, You do? And I went, Yeah, I'm a big fan, and I'm trying to maintain my professionalism. And he started to laugh, and he goes, Somebody your age knows who I am. And I went, Woo! Like that. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, Okay. So he came in. Him and his daughter, I think it was. How old is he? He's got to be 70 some years old, right? I don't think he's that old. 60s? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I, I, I tell you because I, I don't know how they did it, but you know, going back to what we were talking, 49ers, it just made me laugh. These are like you know, professional athletes, but they, they lost it when he started giving them a speed. I mean, the whole room. Everybody. Dude, I remember working the ESPYs. It's probably four years ago, five years ago now. Uh, for those of you listening to the show and overseas, it, this is a summer show. ESPN have awards for athletes, right? Yeah, yeah it's kind of like the Academy Awards. It's like ESPN's version of an award show yeah. for, for, for professional And everyone sports. show up in L.A. A everybody shows up. But the Iron Sheik <laughs> yeah. shows up at the ESPYs. And they go crazy, right? Everybody went crazy. Everybody. Like like LeBron James is pushing people out of the way to get a sure. picture with the Iron Sheik. See, because these guys, they're larger than life. They remember, I mean. And everybody remembers being a kid. Everybody remembers that joy. And when you see somebody like that, it's like, holy snap, there's Santa Claus. Santa Claus is real. I want my picture with Santa, yeah. The Iron Sheik, I break your back. <laughs> Dude, first time I met the Iron Sheik, I made him put me in the camel clutch. It was the greatest thing ever. Sometimes, Happiest I, don't, I've ever sometimes been. I don't know what he's saying. That makes it all the funnier, all the more funny. But yeah, the the, the uh, dude. Oh, here's my Russell Peters story. First time I met Russell. Yeah. I'm on stage. This is like, I don't know, 2008, 2009, maybe 2010. Okay. And I'm talking about Hulk because I knew the Iron Sheik was in the room, so I started talking about Hulk Hogan. Russell and the Iron Sheik bum rushed the stage. Russell's holding the Iron Sheik's belt. Oh, no way. And the Iron Sheik, Ugh, I break your back, that jabroni Hulk Hogan. I go, Sheik, <laughs> you're being a little insulting right now. And this is for like maybe – I went on so late at the comedy store, and there's probably 20 people in the audience. And it's Russell Peters, the Iron Sheik, on stage for 15, 20 people. Fuck. Um, speaking of Russell Peters, uh, I don't remember if we talked about it, but what, you started comedy in Philly or in L.A.? I had done – some open mics in Philly, New York, and Baltimore. Okay. And I probably was on stage over the course of a few years. I was probably on stage like 10, 12 times okay. before moving to L.A. So I pretty much consider L.A. my start. And then but it still took probably five years in L.A. to get more than three minutes worth of stage time a week. It was um, a different time. It was way more difficult. So you moved to L.A. just specifically to be a stand-up comic? I wanted to do uh, writing. Mm -hmm. 
and I wanted to do comedic acting. I see. I was always a fan of stand-up, but I didn't think I had the uh, the guts to stick it out. Because I would read all those stories about how hard it was to make it in stand-up. Sure. Um, and I figured... It still is. Oh, my God. I have no idea how I survived the last 14 years. No idea. It's all been a miracle. It was all a dream. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, I look at my life, and it's got... I go, the simple fact that I've survived trying to do this silly thing has been amazing. So hopefully, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I love I love being a stand-up comic. I love it. It's the coolest thing ever. But it, I still want to write. Yeah. I, I want to get some acting work, too, just so I can do more stand-up. And I was really happy with my first album. It hit the top of the iTunes charts. It hit top of Billboard. It's and once awesome. again, Joe Rogan said nice things about it. Yeah, and everybody. Tweeted. And um, all you, those guys you, came out. Did there. you release it this year? Yeah, it just released it like a month ago. Okay. Came out in November. It's called Remember This. And are you on a tour right now? Uh, um... I'm trying to get out everywhere and anywhere. Okay. Like uh, I have a buddy of mine that's an agent. I'm like, dude, I need to pay my rent. So this, I have to get on the road. So I need you guys to, to listen to my podcast called Good Times and buy my CD called Remember This so I can start getting out there. That's and all do, I want to do. Do you have a website? that they could? Yeah, it's awesomesteve.com. Okay. Twitter or Instagram thing? Yeah, it's all on there, at Steve Simone. Okay. S-I-M-E-O-N-E. Um, so, you know, 2015 is around the corner. What, what, what do, do you have a big goals? Uh, what's your short-term and long-term goal for you? Well, pitching my, this TV show, right? I get, oh, that would be a dream. That would be an absolute dream. Uh, I'm finishing up a feature script, like a family comedy. Okay. That's the short-term goal. I want to get on a headline more. And that's it. I want to enjoy, even enjoy life even more. Like, I went to the supermarket today, and I got ice cream. Like, the, <laughs> the, the high-end, like, fancy ice cream, different flavors. And I was like, all right, that's bright. I'm going to, like, my new thing, I'm eat ice cream when I, like I'll wake up in the middle of the night eat ice cream and go back to sleep it's one of the most fun things ever I I hope that works out because I I, I think you could help um, Roddy uh, you know write a script and maybe oh, it'd be the greatest yeah because I, I I think I mean like you know I'm keep repeating myself but the 49ers it just made me really happy because people still remember appreciate you know Everybody, I heard like ESPN radio. I love sports talk radio. I love sports. Um, and it just went off on one of these tangents about pro wrestling. Yeah. Because the athletes were talking about it. Then the phone lines lit up. Then even more famous athletes were calling in and telling their wrestling stories. Like about four years ago, uh, a guy named Jimmy Superfly Snuka came to a Philadelphia Phillies game. Oh my God. And the place went crazy. He got a standing ovation. It's the greatest. Are, are you a big um, Philly sports fan? Yeah, four for four. Flyers, Eagles, Sixers, and Phillies. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that sports scene? Then we could end it. But um, Yeah, sure. So um, I, I'm actually kind of surprised the Eagles didn't make it to the playoff. Oh, very painful. I think, well, the truth of the matter is, it pains me because I have money on them. I got Ugh. fucking screwed two weeks ago. Went two the or three the weeks. The Cowboys ago, game. Yeah. Ugh. That really um, hurt me. God bless Mark Sanchez. He's just not a starting quarterback. And 
the Eagles had a lot of holes coming into the season. They what, really what, did. what did they finish like nine and seven or something like that, or mm. or was it ten? Ten and six. I think it was ten and six. Fuck. Yeah, I don't even know because after that Cowboys loss, they were like Cowboys. They might have been. They had a eleven and five or ten and six. It, it was it was surprising because you know first ten weeks I thought oh yeah Eagles are going to playoffs you know well I I'm very realistic sports fan mm-hmm. and that's one of the things being a Philly fan teaches you over time never get your hopes up too much I knew their secondary was going to be a problem okay because um, Romo killed them when they went to Philly yeah but is is that interesting the game then Philly went to Dallas and beat them wait, yeah wait. on thanks no Philly beat their ass on Thanksgiving. Okay. In Dallas. And then they came into Philly, and that was it. We lost to the Seahawks, okay, which are a better team. And they really are clicking at the right time. They have great defense. And Russell Wilson is legit. Yeah. Legit quarterback. Um, I think the when, when Nick Foles went down, that was tough, 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 tough. And But the problem is I don't – I think as it – this is just Eagles talk right now. Yeah. But I think we needed to see what Nick Foles, he needed this season to see if he really is our franchise quarterback or not. Because he looked amazing last year. Oh, yeah. He looked amazing. But then the league catches up with guys, and they start to figure out what they can and can't do. So that's why you'll have quarterbacks that look great for half a season or a full season. And then these defensive coordinators, they figure stuff out fast. Do you know a guy named Joe Perino? No. He's a comedian. I just interviewed him. Great guy. And um, (laughs) he's a Giants fan. Okay. And boy, Giants and uh, Philadelphia Eagles fans, they definitely have a strong feelings about each other. <laughs> Not in a good way at all. Oh, yeah. But it's almost like there's a respect there, too. It's really cool. And I've seen one game in Philly, and it was a veteran stadium. That was the old stadium. Yes. Right? And this always makes me laugh, but they used to have, they were the only NFL stadium that used to have in-house court and jail. Yeah, Seamus McCaffrey. I was there. <laughs> I was an intern for the Philadelphia Eagles. Monday night football, they played the 49ers. Yeah. This was 1996. No, 97. Yeah. It was 1997. I was an intern for the Philadelphia Eagles. Monday wow, night you're, football. you really are Mr. Philly. I love it. Yeah, I love That's home. So I, uh, Hall Notes. It's the halftime entertainment. Okay. Amazing. The Eagles get smashed by the 49ers. There's a guy, and for whatever reason, my psychic intuition just said, turn around. I turn around, and I just see a flare, a road flare. It's being shot towards the 49, 49ers bench. Oh. So I'm like, where did that come from? I see the guy. There's a guy with a cigarette dangling out of his mouth. And he's bloating another flare into his flare gun as every security guard and cop is rushing towards him. They put the cuffs on him. The following home football game, there was a judge and municipal court and a jail there at the stadium. I, I, Insane. So obviously you have it because it was that rowdy, right? I mean, it was crazy. But I will say this. I think Philly sports fans get a bad rap, and I know this sounds crazy, but it. Can I tell you something before you continue? Yeah. I went to NFL draft three years ago, the same year Andrew Locke got picked. Oh, cool. And uh, Robert Griffin Jr. got uh, 
second pick overall. And Russell Wilson with a round three. Which yeah. Is the God, he was begging the Eagles to draft him. All right, go on. And I thought, I thought Eagles fans going to be the worst obnoxious one, right? Actually, surprisingly, they were very respectful. So yeah. it caught, kind of caught me off guard. Do you know who, which uh, fan base were the most obnoxious and loud? Who? Well, take a guess. It's not. It wasn't Philly. I was going to say the Jets. Yes. See, every 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 sport uh, football fans tell me they get the answer right, but it caught me off guard because. They were so loud and obnoxious. Dude, you guys haven't won anything since 69. Yeah. Or wh- whenever it was with Joe Namath. But yeah. why? That was su- really surprising. They were really obnoxious. Um, yeah, and I'm not like I'm all for passion yeah. and supporting your teams. But I am a little dis- disillusioned by the state of modern professional sports. You see some crazy violent shit. Yeah, it's man. it's very it's terrible. It doesn't make any sense at all to me. Um, especially NFL games, you can't. They're that is not family entertainment. But even at like uh baseball games and stuff, like I mean, they, Do- they, Dodgers fans can get pretty gnarly, dude. I'm, I'm they glad. beat that kid into submission. I was at a game where a Giants fan got killed. Like that's that's insane. I I think it happened baseball because their tickets are cheaper. Yeah. So you could buy some cheap ass tickets in uh, Dodger games, right? Because it's hard to. Hard to do that shit in Lakers or NFL games. Tickets are so expensive. So expensive. You know? um, but yeah, I I understand you want to love your team, but like I don't know how many times I've been to Dodger games, and the worst one is when Giants are visiting. Yeah. And they're calling each other's mothers and things like that. Like it doesn't make sense. To yeah, me. it's really uncomfortable. So it's cool that you love your fans, and it's okay to tease other team, but that's the point. Like. Somebody getting paralyzed. Oh, it's and get so killed. stupid. It's the dumbest thing ever. Like I'm not like I'm kind of like a hippie. Like I'm all about like just like love and forgiveness. Yeah. Whatever. Like even when I'm a sports fan, if somebody's yelling at me, I'm like Chris Farley and Tommy Boy when the kids are yelling at him in the boat, like, "Hey, Lardass, why don't you?" That's your story. You know, that's <laughs> that's how I that's how I approach sports. Like, you like your team, I like mine. How do you? Uh, let's finish this. Uh, do you have any favorite team from uh, Philadelphia, or do you like everything equally? They're all, they all, they're all so good. Because Phillies all, won World Series like five, six years ago, right? Yeah, 2008 Phillies team was awesome. Um, and they should have won two or three. It sucked. They lost to the Yankees in 09. It, it was shocking to me because that pitching lineups were like, Oh Hamill my God, that was incredible! Yeah, was Roy a- Halladay getting injured really just set that franchise back. Um, and sucks. I was really happy because, uh, oh, was it Jamie Moyer, the oldest guy? Yeah, awesome. He was like forty-eight years old. I'm glad he. And he's won. a Philly guy too. Yeah, he went to St. Joe's University in Philly. I was really happy that he won World Series because, you know, I I follow Seattle sports scene and we we really appreciate what Jamie Moyer did it for. I think did he start with Cubs or something? Yes. Yeah. He he been all over the place, but it was great to see him play. He went back down to the minor leagues and taught himself different pitches, different way to approach the game. That's incredible. And Moyer's great because um, even when his Mariners team got knocked out, 
he will uh, send a note to his former teammate that was playing another team and they're ready to play in playoff game. And he'll give him a note, the tendency of all the hitter. Hey, he was just Mr. Professional. He really said he didn't throw hard pitches either. No. <laughs> and he, he was beat people with his brain. He's he fooled those guys, you know. So I, I was <laughs> That's amazing, right? Yeah, I'm glad he won it. Um and um seventy sixers are I think they're having not good year. No, they're gonna be stinky again this year. But then they just need a draft pick and re, re, you know Yeah, they have that kid over in Europe that's one more year under contract that we got last year with like the seventh or eighth pick. Okay. And that the kid that we drafted, not Noel is finally a little bit healthy, but then the kid we took last year, number three, the center, mm-hmm. he's injured. But they could be fun a year from now, two years from now. Could be really, really fun. And I remember when Sir Charles was playing them, he, the even, he said, like, man, I love Philly, but they could be really tough on players if you're not performing. Oh, yeah. It's got to be the working class because uh, the fan base, like, look, we work really hard to give you this money, buying tickets. We expect you to deliver, you know? Yep. And uh, and they loved, like, a guy like Larry Boa, Chase Utley, guys that put it all, guys that run, at, yeah. run to never give up that hustle. That city loves it. But don't you think they were kind of hard on Donovan, Donovan McNabb when he 100% played? 100% so. Yeah, why? because he didn't act. I don't know why. I thought he was great. I mean, you could do so Dude, much. He played with broken ribs. He, he played in a flak, flak jacket. He had no weapons. The only, and I know Philly fans are saying, what about Brian Westbrook? What receivers did that guy have for his first five years? The one, the one year he had T.O. Yeah, throw ins yeah. They went to the Super Bowl. And, yeah. and let's not forget, that was the whole Belichick Spygate, and that got dropped. That got dropped. They knew everything this the Eagles were doing in the second half. Not to mention um, they knew everything. And they, and Andy Fat Andy Reid got out coached. I blame Andy Reid more for the for that team than Donovan McNabb. And then the what's it two years after that? At the end of that era, he comes back in a fourth quarter drive against the Cardinals, and their defense couldn't hold him. So McNabb doesn't get a fair share from that city. And I think over time they'll they'll go back and go. He he did wonders with what he had. I think you know same thing's gonna happen to him when you know when Brett Favre finally returned recently to Green Bay Packers and that they appreciated him. And I think I hope they give him respect because I I think you could do so much as a one player, but you know they got they barely got beaten by uh, Patriots. I think they they beat Philly by three points or something. It was yeah. a pretty close Super Bowl, you know. Yep. And, Cool. Um, Steve, thanks for doing it. Let's remind everyone the name of your album again. It's called Remember This, and it's on iTunes and allthingsrecords.com. And your website again. Awesome, Steve. All right. Well, Steve, thank you for doing it. I can't wait till um, you and uh, I, I really hope um, uh, you guys pit start pitching. Uh, That'd be great, right? Because he has a lot of stories, and I, 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 it's, it, it's, it really is his story of America, you know. The carnies and traveling in the place and this athletic ability and it's just um, it's it's really is history of America. So I hope he have a TV show. I will definitely watch it. Yeah, it'd know? be awesome. And the, the, all that you know, edgy kind of things that you didn't hear. And I'm sure he has a plenty to tell us. You know. So, all right, Steve, thank you very much, and uh, thanks for everyone for listening. And uh, we will. Thank you. Thanks, Jason.